Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. The Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him. No, not with chains. Verse 4. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broke in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. Verse 5, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshiped him. And today, I want you to think about hope and especially the kind of hope when it looks like there is no way out, there's no chance for change, God can do the changing. I don't know everything that you've done. I don't know everything you've been through. Some of you I know more than others of your story. I don't even know everything you're going through, but I do know this, that God can and does, I'm going to share with you very clearly today, He still does deliver miracles today. Not just back when He was alive, but today, God is in the miracle-making business if we'll open our eyes to that. So let's look at a story first today where God changes life, and then I'm going to tell you a story that I got to see this Thursday of a life that's been dramatically changed, and hopefully it'll encourage you today. Let's look at life before the Lord came. Again, chapter 5, verse 1, NIV here. And life before Jesus came, and the Bible says, they went across the lake to the regions of the Gerasenes. Again, Gadarenes, Gerasenes, translation there. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him uh, anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him, and night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Where did this man live? The cemetery. How many of you like to be out at the cemetery? At night. Last night would have been a really fun night in the cemetery, right? It was storming like crazy at my house last night. This man's home now was in the tombs. That's where he stayed. Now, that wasn't his whole life. That wasn't who he was, but that's where he was now. He was in a dark, dark place. He was possessed by, I say, an evil spirit. We'll find out later it wasn't just one, right? A legion of evil spirits had taken over the body of this man. And these spirits did crazy things with this man. He had unbelievable strength. They, in modern words, they would have tried to institutionalize him. They tried to bind him. They tried to chain him up. They tried to lock him away. But he was so strong with the fits of the spirits that were in him that he could break the chains and keep running through the tombs. He had a problem with control. And so because of the spirits, the man was full of sorrow. And what else does it say? I thought this was really interesting. Not only was he crying at night, but what else was he doing? He was cutting, right? Even today, probably some of you know people, a lot of times it's young people, right, that experience with cutting. And they say sometimes for the young people, again, I'm not a psychologist, but for the cutting, it is a release of all the pain that they are in, right? This man, there's a man, but inside this man, there are also these evil spirits at work, 
and he was self-destructive, and he was crushed, he was crying, he was cutting, he lived, his home was in the cemetery of all places. Let me ask you this morning, what was your life like before Jesus came? It wasn't like that, probably, was it? Wait a minute. (laughs) Some of you might say, wait a minute. My life was pretty horrible before Jesus came, right? I want you to think about that a little bit today. What was your life like before the Lord showed up? Hopefully you were not demon-possessed, but you probably or possibly were lonely and afraid, and for many of us, unable to control passions and desires. For some of us, our life was full of sorrow, or we were doing things that were self-destructive. Many people today have a similar story of their life before Jesus came. And what we see today is that when Jesus comes and someone submits to the authority and the power of the Lord, their life is forever different. It is. I'm telling you. We've got to encourage people to do that. Well, let's look at Jesus' conversation with this man and even more with the demons. Look down at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of the voice, off top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of the man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. Did you catch that? Jesus gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. What happens when the, G- when the demons encounter Jesus? <laughs> they know him, right? What does James tell us, right? You have faith, even the demons believe, and they tremble. They tremble. These demons in this man encounter Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, and the man is coming even to to come into worship. They call him out by name, Jesus, the son of the most high God. And they beg him not to torture them. Who's in control in this situation? He is. Jesus is in control. I think a lot of times we don't think he is. Where is this bill going to get paid? How is this problem going to get handled, resolved? What is going to happen to this situation? I've got to control it. I've got to make it happen. Who's in control in this situation? It's hard. I know it's hard sometimes when things aren't going the way we expect, but the Lord actually is in control. He has control, and he can do as he pleases, and he is in control of this situation. So the demons beg the Lord, please, please don't torture us. As a matter of fact, they say, hey, if you're going to send us out of this man, because we know what you're going to do, <laughs> again, they know his power, can you put us in the, the pigs? Now, in my mind, I wonder, why in the world would the Lord do that? Why does he let him go into the swine? I mean, and the swine are all going to go off the cliff and die, and he knows that. But what's going to happen in the town is the reason the Lord does that. Again, We don't see the bigger picture all the time, which is hard. We want the bigger picture, but Jesus here does. 
So he gives permission for the demons to enter into the swine. And so the, the pigs, about 2,000 in number, they go rushing down the steep bank, they go into the lake, and they're all drowned. What do you think the reaction is of people that are around? Well, let's see. Look on, if you would, there, verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off, and they reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were what? They were afraid. The people were afraid. What's going on here? Something dramatic has happened, has changed. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to do what? To plead with Jesus to leave. Get out of here. We don't want this change. You scare us. Is it scary when things start to get right in your life? You guys pray for the preacher. Tomorrow night I get to go back into the jail. Preacher's going to jail again. You guys know how that is, right? And um, I'm filling in for somebody tomorrow night. And I've been there so many times that I know the guys in there. And so many of the guys there, when they can get in jail, they have some time where a lot of times they can get away from the drugs. There's still drugs in jail sometimes. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of the guys, they can get that time to actually get their mind back. And they also don't have a whole bunch of media exposure. So they actually, some of them will be in the scriptures. And when they come to learn, they come hungry, but they are scared to death to leave the jail. Because they know what's on the outside. And some of them that aren't necessarily bent to the Lord just yet, they're scared because they're scared of the change. We talked about this on Wednesday. They know their identity. They know who they are now. And if Jesus comes in their life, He's going to wreck it all up, <laughs> and they won't know what to do and how to handle it. And this is a common reaction when Jesus shows up, isn't it, right? What I would think, my response, I would kind of think would be like, this guy just healed this man. This is amazing. Can you do this to other people? Let's go into the hospitals. Let's go into the insane asylums. Let's go everywhere around town. Let's get everybody on track. But what do these people say? Could you get out of here? Because you kind of scare us. And the people that owned the swine, I'm sure they were really not happy either, right? Because when Jesus enters the situation, he may change the economics of the day as well. Hello? Can the Lord take care of the economics? He does right here, and it causes some problem for these people. Again, they begged Jesus to leave. They didn't know what he was about. They feared what else he might do in their town. Now, when Jesus makes a change in the life of a sinner, it will be obvious. Not maybe always as obvious as pigs running off a, a cliff, but there will be skeptics who say, well, I've got to see it for myself. There is no way that person would ever change. When Jesus changes a person, they will look different, right? This man was so messed up, running around, partly any clothes on, chains on his arms. He was in his right mind and dressed, the scripture says. When Jesus changes a person, They'll be able to control themselves. They will act differently. When the skeptics realize that someone has definitely changed, two options for the skeptics. One, they will want to change themselves. What happened to you? I like that. I want to have that same thing. Or the other thing is they will stay as far away from the change as is possible because they don't understand what has taken place. Let's look at the reaction of the person who had been changed. Look down at verse 18. 
as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Woo, it's good. So the man went away and began to tell to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed. I was reading Enduring Word last night, and something really stood out to me. Jesus answers the prayer request of the demons, and he denies the request of the healed man. Did you catch that? He gave them what they want. He won't give him what he wants because, again, it's about his glory. And sometimes we don't understand that. We ask, right? This is what I want. And sometimes the Lord says yes, and we're like, woohoo. But sometimes we ask, and the Lord says, no, this is not what's best. And here for this man, it wasn't best for him to go with Jesus. He wanted to go. I would want to go with Jesus, wouldn't you? When he changed you like that, oh, I feel so happy and wonderful, and the mercy had been shown on you. I want to go wherever Jesus goes. And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to go back and tell your story. Hello this morning. I can't tell your story. At Nameless Catering, I cannot tell your story. Right? Even with Zach and Bree, I cannot tell your story. With Miss Charlotte this week, I won't be able to tell your story. Or at Promise Road, I can't tell Wendy's story. Right? And I definitely aren't going to do any repairs at Joni's place, so I'm no telling stories there. Right? I can't tell your story. Who's going to tell your story? To some extent, even Jesus would not tell the story of this man. He was sending him back to his community because his change is what was going to make a change in the lives of the people around him. Could you imagine the reactions of those people as more and more people saw him? Hey, is that, is that the guy that was running in the cemetery? Are you kidding me? Look at him. He looks normal, right? I mean, all over town, everywhere, people be like, Whatever his name was. Is there any Joes here today? We don't have any Joes today. We'll call him Joe. <laughs> Is that Joe? I've known him. I mean, that guy was, he was bat crazy, right? He was flat out crazy. Look at him. He's like in his right mind. He's loving and helping and serving. And what's happened to him? Oh, remember that guy named Jesus came through here? Well, when he ran into him, he's been changed. Now, that story will have an impact on people, won't it? You know what? Yours will, too. When you tell people about the change that Jesus made in your life, it'll make a difference. And that's the whole thing I want you to say. There is hope, and other people just need to see the change that Jesus has made in our life. So this man was to tell his friends what had happened to testify. Now, this is an old quote, but I wanted to share it again. I just thought it was interesting from Henry Hyde. He said, if Jesus had taken a poll, he would never have preached the gospel. And we need to stop taking polls, people. We need to stop worrying about what people on Facebook think or Twitter or Instagram or people at your workplace. You need to stop worrying about what the preacher thinks. It doesn't matter what I think about you, but you need to do what the Lord wants you to do. And I'm telling you today, he wants you to tell your story about when he changed you. All right? So let the Lord guide us in that. He was to tell them how great the Lord was. We should do the same. He was to tell them how the Lord had compassion on him. And just a minute, I want to share some more about that very idea, the idea of mercy. He was real evidence of a changed person, and here's what happened. He did exactly as he was told. The Lord said, do this, and what did he do? He did it. The Lord said, get baptized after you become a Christian. What should you do? Get baptized, right? <laughs> and this guy did that, and because of his obedience, people, what did they do? They glorified Christ. The, the scripture says, and all the people were 
amazed. One of my favorite scriptures of all time is Galatians 1, 21 and 22. Paul says, I went to Syria and Cilicia. And I was personally unknown to the church of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard this report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And verse 24 is great. And they praise God because of me. That should be our story. Not because of who great I am or how great I am or how great you are, but they praise God because of the thing that God did in my life. And that's what happened here. All right. You guys, if, if you have children, I think you can really understand the idea of hope in the miraculous when something happens to your child. Anybody ever have something happen to your child? Right? Um, at that moment, you are not looking for a God who is so impotent that he needs millions and billions of years to build something. You're not looking for a God so weak that he can't parlor, part a shallow lake, let alone the Red Sea. <laughs> when you're in a moment of crisis, you are looking for the God who creates everything out of nothing. Amen? That's who I'm looking for. The God who delivered three men from a fiery furnace without even their clothes smelling like fire. The God who could deliver Jonah after three days in the belly of a great fish or deliver Daniel from a lion's den. There's a reason why we tell these stories to our kids in Sunday school. It's not just because they are fun stories but it's because they are true and they remind us to hope in the living, life-giving God. And when that moment hits, you are looking for the Almighty and then you will believe in miracles. God doesn't always answer our requests, we know that, but the truth today is that God is still changing people just like he changed the demoniac of the gatherings. Miracles are not miraculous to God. He understands the science of them completely the supernatural is natural to the super, right? So how about you? Have you been changed and transformed by the power of the Almighty? Everyone around the demoniac knew he had been changed. What about you? Quick few questions here. Do you want to be with Jesus? I'd rather have Jesus, what we sang this morning. What did the demoniac say? Can I come with you? <laughs> I want to go with you. That's where his heart was. Are you telling others about what Christ has done for you? Lord, help us all in that. Are you telling them of his greatness, of his compassion? Are you obedient to Christ's commission? Are you seeing people glorifying Christ because of your life? Not glorifying you, but glorifying Jesus. And they praise God because of me. Not they praise me, right? Okay, well, this Thursday, I just was like blown away. So I'm gonna try to share a little bit of this with you. I wish I could have taken you all there with me. Back at the church Winnie and I ministered in for 13 years in Salem, Illinois, there was a young man there. When we got there, I think he was 17 or 18. His name was Bobby Donahoe. And he was one of those people that he lived with one foot in the church and one foot out. You know what I'm talking about? Like he could pray and he could give the right answers, but when it was during the week, he was not doing things that pleased the Lord. Uh, he was often, he would come around looking for real change but he was unable to find it. And I want to tell you, as a pastor, it was one of the hardest things for me, for people like that, for me to spend so much time with them and not see them change. Like, what, what am I missing? How am I failing this person? His biggest battle was every man's battle. He was fighting lust, and he was fighting it so much that it was costing him his family and his marriage. 
when I met him last fall, I did his mother's funeral, Judy, and he was a changed man. <laughs> I couldn't even believe the words that were coming out of his mouth. I, was, I even like hit him. I'm like, is this really you? Who are you? This is not the, the guy I knew. You're talking about repentance. You're talking about mercy. We were coming together. We usually would talk about hunting and fishing. And when we were there at that day, he immediately quashed that conversation. I brought it up just to have something to talk about. And he was like, let's talk about the Lord. Who was this guy and what had happened? His whole countenance was different. Something had happened to him, and I later found out what it was. He had entered a program nine months ago called Pure Life Ministries. It's down in Dry Ridge, Kentucky, and that's where I was Thursday night. And not only did he enter this program back in, I think, July, but he endured and stayed the entire nine months there, and I was able to attend his graduation on Thursday night. So he was separated from his home, his family, his work. Completely, he said, I want help. And he was willing to forsake all that to find hope. The change in his life is one of the most definitive works of God that I have ever seen in my life. I don't know how he will endure. Let's just say that this morning, right? And Wendy and I were talking on the way down. Everybody that God healed got sick again. How about those thoughts, huh? <laughs> now, they were healed eternally, right, and spiritually, but physically. And so, but what I want to tell you about is the change was real. Bobby will finish strong if he'll depend on the Lord, and right now he is unbelievable way. The worship service on Thursday night was like few others I have ever attended. They have a Thursday night midweek service, and when we came in, um, they came in about a half an hour early, and it was virtually all men, about 70 men, and the, the church chapel was probably about as big as our center section here, right, with a division down the middle. And one by one, these guys would get up and pray. And as they were praying, everybody else in that room was praying. And then all of a sudden, some things started to get real familiar to me. Um, after we prayed, those 10 guys prayed when they started to sing. Michael, you probably like one of your men of valor conferences. I mean, they just let out to the Lord. Lifted hands, held up hands, singing from the transparent. They didn't care what people thought around them when they were singing. They weren't singing for them. They were singing for the Lord. And it kind of dawned on me, oh, this is kind of like E-Team. E-Team, where all those kids go on mission right before they go on mission, they don't care. They're about ready to do something great for the Lord, and they need him. They need the Lord to show up. These guys in this room, they all knew that they needed him. And then it also reminded me of the jail. Because those guys that are there that come, they come out of the will that come to our group. They're not forced to come. They are looking for that change, and they're hungry, and they want it. And they don't care what everybody else thinks. They want the Lord to show up. We're sitting there and just singing, the Lord is moving in just such a, an unbelievable way. And we were all just worshiping. And what was amazing to me is that Bobby's wife, who had just about filed for divorce, and they'd been separated for a long time, she was there standing beside him in that service. And his daughter was standing beside her. And Bobby's brother was standing beside them because that change had happened. Well, enough of the background. What I want to share with you just briefly is Bobby 
it was his graduation night, so he got to come up before everybody and share his testimony. And this is, I asked him if I could share some of it with you, and so this is what we have. He started off with a Bible verse that says, uh, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me uh, from becoming proud. Three times I begged for the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need, or my grace is sufficient for you. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, the hardships, the persecution and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I said, Bobby, the Lord will help you be strong enough. And he goes, no, the Lord's going to help me be weak enough. Who's saying this, right? I'm still like blown away that he's saying this. So he went on. This is Bobby speaking. He says, from an early age, I went to church and got saved and baptized. He's talking about the church Wendy and I pastors. I was exposed to an unattended porn magazine at a young age. I was immediately gripped by the images I saw and was giving in to self gratification every chance I got. As the years went on, my desire grew more and more. By high school, I was partying and drinking and doing drugs and chasing girls. I was blinded in delusion and my life was in utter darkness, but I didn't notice. I looked a part of a Christian on the outside, but the inside was full of dead man's bones. I even carried the lust and way of life into my marriage. Several times my wife would confront me on the issue of porn, but I would only give half-hearted attempts to stop and even became emotionally abusive towards her and putting up walls in my mind. It reached the point where neither her or the kids wanted to be in the same room as me. She decided to leave and in her mercy, she didn't file for divorce as long as I would receive the help, the real help I needed. I had hit rock bottom. And the Lord led me to a pure life ministry graduate. So last summer, Bobby was at the bottom of the barrel. He went to a preacher of a church that they had visited. And that preacher said, hey, I think I got some for you to talk to. And it was somebody who had been through this program who had graduated. And Bobby said, what have I got to lose? He said, I arrived on Pure Life Ministries campus on July 10th, 2021. I was full of anger and bitterness, selfishness, and criticism. It didn't take the Lord long to root out my anger on a mercy studies evening. Brother Chris asked me to move forward, and I was enraged. No one disrespects me in front of other people. I called my counselor, Pastor Jordan, and I was ready to fight. Jordan had me start reading scripture, but I wanted to rise up. When Pastor Jordan was giving his speech, he said, yeah, I thought we were going to have the first beatdown from a young man of a 65-year-old man when Bobby came on campus. And I went over to Chad. I said, that's your brother. <laughs> he was an angry, angry man. But look what he says. He directed me to another scripture and then to another scripture. And for the first time in my life, I saw the power of God's word take me from shaking in anger to weeping. God started to uncover many delusions I was under. Jesus was not in the throne room of my heart. My sin hurt his heart, and I was on the path to hell. My self-life had to be crucified and could only happen through true repentance. The Lord used a few people to show me that I was actually seeing a mirror of myself in them and how I really was. He showed me how critical I was, how I was unable to show mercy and even pray for mercy for those people. My biggest idol was myself. I started praying for brokenness, and the Lord met me on the ridge on the way down to the cross, a physical cross on the campus. 
And the closer I got to the cross, I started to cry, not even knowing where it was coming from. And the closer I got, I was weeping. And all I could do was wrap my arms around the cross, hugging it, begging for the Lord's mercy and to save me from myself. Does God still do changes? He does. So God began to give me a compassion for people. I began seeing people who would cross my will as broken, just like me. God taught me how to pray for mercy when I was tempted. He gave me eyes to see that my life was not my own. I had been bought with a price to serve him and serve others. And God has taught me to be a bond servant. And now it's my reasonable service to be a living sacrifice, taking up my cross daily and following him. And that I am a wretched sinner. And it's all by his grace alone that I am saved. No good thing dwelleth within me apart from God. It's all God. And then he said this, I have not arrived upon a destination, but rather I have opened a door unto a path which I must now walk out every day. That's the way to see it, isn't it? That's the way to view it. He was actually a dorm mentor, he said, and that helped me to serve others by bearing their burdens, interceding, being a giver, not a taker, and seeing the Lord transform lives. God used it to get me out of myself and the flow and into the flow of mercy. It's been a great honor and blessing. So he went to give some thank yous, but I wanted to read this little bit here. He said, thank you to my wife, Michelle, for interceding for me for years. Thank you for your mercy, your love, your forgiveness and support. The Lord answered your prayers. I can't wait to start our lives together in Christ. Thank you to all my family and everyone who poured out your hearts for me in prayers. I am truly blessed to have all of you in my life. And then he closed with this, and to the author and finisher of my faith, It is only by your mercy and grace that I stand here today. Thank you, Jesus, for saving this wretched soul. Thank you for your cleansing blood, your mercy, your gift of repentance. Have your way in me. Surrender and consecrate my life to you. I'm like, there is no way that kid could say that. That kid that we knew, not happen. It just wouldn't happen. I saw it with my own eyes. (laughs) He... He won that battle. Him and the Lord won that battle. He's got a bunch of battles ahead, but he won that one because he surrendered himself to the Lord. He was changed by Jesus. And I'm telling you people, it's a flat-out miracle. It's not a kind of miracle. It's not a halfway thing. It's like, oh, that could, there was no way. And the Lord intervened in that situation, and he delivered. And so I wanted to give you hope today because some of you may be thinking, there ain't no way the Lord can do this or this. It's impossible. It's, or this relationship or this person that you're about to give up on. Uh, we know some stories about people that maybe we give up on that end up being baptized here, right? Uh, don't give up today, okay? There is hope. And it's in Jesus. All right, let's stand this morning. Thank you again for your patience today. I do want to give you some time to pray to come to the altar today if the Lord is speaking to your heart. You can fake it for a long time, and some people are pretty good at faking it, right? But what happened to Bobby was he finally ran into the real thing, and when he did, it changed him upside down. I want to take a little time this morning. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, you can come. I'll just go play at the piano a little bit, and then after that, we'll have our time of prayer, all right? So let's take a little time together. If you need to come, come. If you need to pray in your seats, pray there, but ask the Lord to really help you surrender to him and then also be his witness.